0: Beautiful people, and welcome to a new episode of Sharing with Shama. First of all, I want to say thank you, thank you everyone for all the positive feedback that you have given me for this podcast. I am super, super grateful. And uh, today I'm at the summer house. Um, Just had a sauna, uh, looking out on the ocean. It's very dark, but it's beautiful. And the dogs are sleeping, so I'm trying now to see how this um, how this works, this setup. Uh, I'm just testing my wings here. So today, I would like to speak a little about spiritual seeking versus authentic being, and what is the difference between being a seeker and actually be yourself. And to me, if I go back in my in my own history and I look to when I were when I went to my first kind of spiritual retreat, and uh, there was something in me that went there. Of course, if that was a longing or if it was a calling, I don't know, or if it was just my friend saying you got to go there. So anyhow, I went to this place uh, a bit north in Sweden. Spent five days there, and it was an Osho place. I don't know if you're familiar with Osho, and he's like an enlightened uh, guru. He passed uh, ninety three, I think. Anyhow, he has a lot of kind of sannyasis and uh, sannyasins and disciples around the world, and he is, I would say, he is like Jesus and Buddha, and you know, he was he definitely knew a lot of stuff. He had a lot of wisdom, uh, which he shared with many, many, many people. So uh, anyhow, I was at this place. It was also inspired, which meant that we listened to a lot of talks from him. I didn't get anything. Honestly, I remember him laughing to this big crowd in uh, Pune in India, which he was talking to, and he said, "Uh, I'm laughing because... uh, you, I, you are already buddhas pretending not to be and i didn't get any of it what what did he mean and there was so much you know there was so much spiritual insight and there were so many sayings and there was so much music and there was so many like incense and crystals and rituals and i got totally you know overwhelmed i didn't get any of that i came from like a corporate world, uh, ran my business, had my family, you know, soccer practice and uh, shopping and yeah, big house uh, at an island outside Stockholm and uh, trying to be fancy and successful. Uh, So I was totally, you know, uh, taken back by that. What is all of this? And when I came home, I took some of those practices with me like the tea drinking tea for example at that place we didn't drink any coffee coffee was not spiritual so tea was the spiritual way it was very much like as I got it as it came to me this is the way this is what we do this is what we don't I lived in had the impression that people, spiritual people didn't use makeup uh, they didn't. They were not vain at all. They didn't care about their appearance. They just looked magical. All of them were super beautiful, and that was because they meditated so much. So I began to, you know, I never wore a lot of makeup, but during this first year, especially this first year, I kind of cut it out more or less totally. Uh, I cut out tea, I pulled back my wine drinking a lot, I went to a lot of concerts with, you know, spiritual music, I hang out with a lot of spiritual people, I went to meditations every week, I went to sharings and of course I went to another retreat after this and then the next year I went to a a third retreat and there I met a lot of these sannyasim people, Uh, you know, kind of disciples of Osho, and they had actually spent time with him in Pune. Um, The facilitators, they were kind of friends with him. And so there was a lot of this, you know, guru world where everyone except me, of course, was a bit enlightened. And I looked up to everyone. Even the ones participating in the retreat, because they knew more than I did. They had been meditating for maybe 10 years, they did yoga, you know, they were like, they didn't, you know, use any deodorant or, you know, almost no shampoo and everything was so supernatural and ayurvedic and... I really tried to to kind of find my way in this. I bought all the Eckhart Tolle books. I bought a lot of Osho books. I began to read a lot and I kind of practiced spirituality being clueless. I was definitely a seeker. I was looking for a solution for a problem. And I tried to find it, you know, in everything they told me. So I was really, really uh, a tag-along to these people during, I would say, at least 10 years, um, trying to improve my spirituality, my spiritual practice, trying to be a better seeker, to, to do things more right. And I remember that, uh, I remember I read, um, I don't know which Tolles books, if it's The, the New Earth or... Uh, power on now I don't remember but he spoke about the pain body and I just felt like wow fuck that's me I am I am the pain body and I just wherever I went I kind of carried that with me and I didn't know how to get rid of it and I tried to practice the things he wrote you know what you should think about focus on and so on and I struggled so much for so many years uh I used meditation as a drug whenever I felt anxious during these years. There was like a full year whenever I felt anxious, I had to go and do dynamic meditation. And dynamic meditation is is quite a tough meditation. It's an early morning meditation, almost always at 7 o'clock in the morning. And it's like five stages and you breathe a lot, you fill your body with oxygen and then you act out and you just scream or cry or whatever, and then there's a lot of movement. It's very, very powerful and hard. And I, you know, that was my way to, to get some anxiety relief because I cut down on a lot of other stuff that I used to do. You know, I worked a lot. During these years, I kind of let my company be run by other people. I just went on retreats and I traveled and I did this and that. And um, I went to Costa Rica for three months with my kids, for example. That was l- like a spiritual escape. Anxiety took me, drove me to Costa Rica. And it was an amazing experience. I, I know I, I learned so much in Costa Rica. Uh, I got my first dog, Shanti. He came to us in the rainforest. And the first week in Costa Rica, I cried. I woke up at dawn. I cried every morning being super sad, super anxious, uh, not knowing where to go. I had just a a really bad divorce uh, behind me. I'd sold my company, so I had a lot of money in the bank, took the kids to Costa Rica, and I was still miserable, you know. And then Shanti came. He came in a fight, in a dog fight. Uh, We lived in the rainforest, and he came. And uh, there were three dogs fighting, and... um, When they left, we found one of the dogs lying um, where we parked the car and he stayed. And I had to take care of him, I had to remove all the ticks, you know, I had to remove all the fleas and uh, take him to the vet and get him spayed and, uh, you know, and he stayed with us. And I was really like, okay, I can care for you, but no way I'm going to like you. So I left him to the, to the kids, to my my youngest. They were 7 and 10 at the time. They were so happy. They've always wanted a dog. But since Rachel was allergic, we could never get one. And I was totally not interested in bringing a dog into our home. Anyhow, Shanti, stayed with us. And after a few months, something happened. And uh, yeah, my my second youngest daughter, she had to go home. Because her daddy said if she's not coming back to Sweden, um, she needs to take this year once again at school. So he kind of threatened me that um, I need to take her home. So we did. She went home to Sweden and I was super, super sad, missing her. And Shanti, this little dog, he came up to me. I'm sitting in the sofa outside watching the Pacific Ocean and crying. And Shanti, he comes and lies next to me in the sofa and puts his head in my lap and looks up at me and then he he begins to chew on my arm and I just look him in the eye and he's just looking at me chewing very, very carefully up and down on my arm and I'm like, wow, who are you? And that's when I began to speak dog. He literally opened my heart. I sat there crying, looking into his eyes. He's in, he chews on me, he's chewing on me, and we kind of have such a bond. And since that day, we are inseparable. Unfortunately, Shanti was ran over by, by a car a few weeks later, and that was totally my fault. It was my, uh, my bad. I didn't bring him in when I took the car and went to get a friend, to help her out in a situation, so I didn't tell him to stay in the house. I just, yeah, pushed the gas a little harder, so I lost sight of him. And he and a friend of his, Munchies, they, they ran. I can still see Munchies saying, come on, Shanti, let's go to the beach. And Shanti, he was a rainforest dog. He'd never been to the beach alone. And they took off, and a car ran him over. So when I came home... When we came back, Kirsten, my friend, she says, Wow, look at that, Shauna, there's such a big monkey lying on the road. And I'm like, that's not a monkey, that's my dog. And I remember that's like the first time I prayed to God. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and I said, Dear God, please don't make me punish myself for this. Please don't make me blame myself for this. And ever since, I never felt guilty. I know it was my bad, it was my fault, and I never felt guilty. So I know that if I ask for the right thing, I am given it. And to me, that was like that Costa Rica experience, Shanti coming, him staying, him understanding my pain, soothing my pain, being a dog, you know, and then me praying to God and him listening that was such an experience so I came home from Costa Rica with a totally different kind of a shift in my spiritual seeking I was still a seeker I was not knowing but I had something I brought something back from there and then years passed I kept on seeking I kept on you know attracting when I came home from Costa Rica I met my ex-husband um, the who was an alcoholic and I was so sure that everything would kind of come in you know since Costa Rica everything was kind of magical and I thought it was going to be that way because I met amazing people there was a lot of events that happened that were kind of divine interventions and so when my ex-husband came into my life I just felt this is my guy. I had no clue that It was a dysfunctional side in me, a codependent side in me that kicked in that I found out like much, much later. And I would say that the spiritual seeking went totally, um, it went from knowing something to being me kind of in an innocent way. And during these years, being codependent, living with an alcoholic, That kind of narrowed me down, kind of squeezed me together so hard that my spiritual seeking became a desperation. I really, I went to so many retreats. I assisted a lot in these retreats. I went totally like I used the spiritual path as a relief, kind of an escape during these years. That was when I had at least some kind of peace. And uh, to me, my life broke down five years ago um, when I separated from this person. And uh, I can say from there on, something changed. It's like, you know, they say for addicts, when you hit rock bottom, uh, I think that was my rock bottom. It's not when I stopped drinking alcohol. It was actually uh, when I woke up at intensive care that I realized that something something is, is not right and i got to do something. A friend of mine, she came uh, and we sat on the kind of plastic chairs uh, on the linoleum floor um, eating. There were no vegetarian food, so all there was was green peas. We sat there eating green peas on white plastic plates and I had a feeling of peace. Uh, So in the middle of that chaos, I had a sense of peace, of being me, that there was nothing else to lose, you know. Uh, I was locked up in a mental institution and I was sitting there eating green peas, actually having a sense of okayness. And for me, since then, there has been a shift in my spiritual seeking, um, I think that to be a seeker is a lovely thing. I think for those of you who feel me and understand what I mean, there is a difference between being uh, fearful, anxious, desperate, kind of uh, looking for a solution, and then you come into the spiritual new age kind of lifestyle, and you think you know something. I've met so many people that I feel are not authentic, that are really like uh, know-it-all kind of people uh, who are very, very openly telling other people what's the right way and how to do it. Uh, I don't think it's extremely spiritual to tell people exactly what you think all the time I don't think that is authentic to tell people uh, you know in their face that they uh, irritate you they frustrate you and uh, you know all this exposure work when you're so direct and you just tell people to the face what you feel about them and this and that I feel that there there is a part of the spiritual seeking when you become extremely egotistical And self-centered. And I think that is because many of us, we are so um, kind of wounded and we've never ever practiced to say no and to stand our ground. So when we learn this during exercises and in retreats, when we learn to say no, to respect our boundaries and so, then I I see so many people going totally bananas around this. There's always, like, you need to respect my boundaries. And no, I when I say no, it's a no. And people become very hard on each other. I felt a lot, like, the first years, that a lot of kind of normal decency and kindness disappeared. And I did not like it. I felt, like, very uh, misplaced, or uh, there's a French word, I think, malplacé, malplacé. Uh, in that surrounding, because I really believe in kindness and <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, and helping each other out and, you know, and not feeling into every question. There was a point when I felt like whenever someone asked anyone for help, that person said, uh, let me think about that and I will get back to you. And then that person would call back and say, you know, I have been looking inside and there's a no to that request inside of me. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? You, you can't help me kickstart my car because my battery died, because there is a no in you. And I'm like, hello, what is this? It's gone like totally uh, the wrong way. And I guess that we have to, when we when we come into this path, we have to go maybe far, far left to kind of end up in the middle somewhere. Um, and I see also so many people who never come to the middle who kind of stay in the extreme and I feel that there is also a lot of not really authentic way to to communicate and to to support each other and it's a lot of being right actually and uh, I find that difficult because for me as a spiritual seeker you don't know anything. I don't know anything when I'm seeking. I'm looking for solutions, I'm looking for the truth, and I'm open to that I don't know. I feel it's very, very important as a spiritual seeker to be humble and to to really, really be in the not knowing and to kind of be comfortable there. And I know that when I do know, when I am my authentic self, Everything is different. When I'm seeking, um, I always have a little feeling of kind of anxiety or fear or, you know, I'm looking what other people think and say of me. And there's a lot of doing. There's a lot of reading books. There's a lot of meditation. There's a lot of kind of, you know, karma work or, you know, uh, yoga practice. And there's a lot of rituals and malas and... And um, there's a lot of things, you know, pulling angel cards, uh, looking for answers. And there's something anxious about it. There's something not uh, kind of fear driven, driven that when I don't know, I can pull angel cards, angel cards, angel cards. There was a time like, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. And the answer was summer or vegetarian. And I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. That doesn't work for me. And... I feel that when I am authentic, when I am myself, there is a different uh, quality. There is a quality of peace and there is a quality of knowing and there is a quality of trust. And there is also a big, big, big quality of honesty. I have come to realize that spiritual seeking is also looking for kind of, you know, benefits or the next kind of high or the next good thing. Or, you know, it's always going somewhere. And I'm not saying that to be a spiritual seeker, that is wrong. I'm just saying that uh, to have this righteousness... I would say spiritual seeking, new age, combined with righteousness. That is really difficult for me. uh, Because people who know, and I kind of feel that they're not authentic. And this doesn't matter if it's like in a retreat, a spiritual retreat, if it's a sannyasin body, or if it's uh, in AA, uh, if it's in church. It doesn't matter if it's a... If it's a person, a friend of mine, when they have truths to deliver to me, about me, or they want to teach me something uh, from a spiritual know-how, there is something in me that goes like, ah, this does not really resonate with me. I love conversations with God. I love conversations, you know, I love inquiries When you ask questions, when you inquire into a topic, like when you are in the I don't know, but when you are in I know I have the truth, the thing is that I only have the truth for me. I am not whatever I say in this podcast. It's not your truth. This is my truth. This is my perception. So what I'm telling you now is my perception around spiritual seeking versus authentic being and how can I even speak about that because I lived a whole life like until I was I think I went to my first spiritual retreat when I was 39 and now I'm 52 so it's 13 years Um, until then I was absolutely clueless that I even needed help you know that I even needed to look for a solution that there was even a solution possible because I didn't even know I had a problem. I think I was the problem. And then now, 13 years later, I'm much more humble. I'm much more like I don't know much. I do know one thing, and that is when I am at peace. When I'm at peace, I know. I know that I, whatever I'm doing right now is it's perfect. It's just right This is exactly what I should be doing now because I am at peace. I know that when I'm anxious, worried, when I'm fearful, I know I'm not doing something right. Something is wrong actually in my actions, uh, in my behavior, you know, in my surrounding, the people I am with. Something is not the way it should be. So this is... This is more or less how I navigate. Am I myself now, together with you? Am I anxious or am I peaceful? And there is a thing about this podcast for me. When I speak to you, I'm at peace. Obviously, something bigger than me wants to do this because I feel very, very at ease and peaceful. I feel also a high level of joy. And for me, that is also a confirmation that I am authentic, that I am me right now with you. I know as soon as I try to, you know, if I begin to think about my voice, my daughter this morning, she said, mom, you sound so depressive, please, can you just shape up, okay? And I'm like, hey... You don't You don't have to say those mean things to me, okay? It's just the truth, she said. Okay, I said, maybe that's your truth, but it's not kind. That's not how we roll. That's not how we do it. And then she became sad because I said to her, that's not how we do it. We don't say mean things to each other, even though it feels true to you. That's not kind. And then I felt she was hurting and I felt like bad because I said it. And also I felt like, but that is okay. If I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to be self-conscious about my voice, if I sound happy, joyful, yeah, or, or if I sound depressive or low, or then I just felt like this is going totally wrong. Now this is going down. This is not going to work. I'm not going to, I I can't record another podcast. So I've decided that I'm not going to listen to my daughter. Uh, I'm going to take this one podcast at a time. And uh, my voice is my voice. And it's going to be as it's going to be in that episode. Yes. So immediately now when I said this, I lost authenticity. I became, you know, when I just... began to think about uh, our morning, I just felt like I lost authenticity, because I just described the situation to you, um, yeah, I'm not really sure why I did it, but I felt like I wanted to, to kind of show you something, um, so I, okay, back at peace, back at ease, and the authentic me question is why is it so difficult to be ourselves why is this like the hardest hardest part ever i mean that's for me that is what the seeking is about what is the goal of the seeking? What is the goal of this, all this work that we do? What is the goal be- behind all the meditation and yoga and all the crystals and mala beads and angel cards? And what is the goal behind all the uh, work and running and all the eating and not eating and you know, all the fillers and Botox and everything? What is the goal? And to me, there is only one ultimate goal. And that is to return to our essence. And I can tell you, honestly, 13 years ago, I had no idea what essence was. 10 years ago, I was just as clueless. It's just this last, last five years. I read Pema Chodron, uh, When Things Fall Apart, in the hospital five years ago. I had a yoga mat. I had a mala bead, I had this little book, When Things Fall Apart. And I had my piece on the plastic plate. And I read that book and I realized that when things fall apart, actually there's an opportunity for something else to come. And um, so for me, that was like a major, major step, step, that breakdown. I'm not encouraging any one of you to commit suicide. That is not the way. I can tell you for sure that is not the way. So it's not like I am serving as an example here that to hit rock, rock bottom that way is kind of a way to wake up, awakening. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think it's just like that when I woke up in the hospital and I was so kind of broken, you know. Everything, there was there was nothing more for me to lose in that point and uh, I don't think I don't believe that we need to hit that bottom I don't believe in it at all I believe strongly believe that we can work from where we are at today and grow from there you know we don't have to go down one millimeter Because that's not the purpose of life. Life is here to make us learn, grow, heal, elevate, become teachers, help other people. I think one of the biggest, biggest purposes we have here on earth is to help other people. If I can help one human being with what I do, I think I've done a lot. Um, I think my, my purpose is also to be supportive and help my children always until I die. And I think that is a lot. So I'm not telling anyone to go. You have to, to kind of awaken. You have to go super, super low. I don't think so. They say that every like alcoholic or drug addict, so they have to hit rock bottom. Uh, question is what that is to people. For some people, that might be, you know, forgetting the car keys and not being able to get home. You know, uh, we don't know. Where people's kind of, you know, point is where you elevate. And I think we can elevate from where we are at today. We don't have to go down one millimeter more. So, um, now let's see, where am I? The thread here. Yes, okay. Why is it so difficult to be ourselves? Well, of course, I go back to the original uh kind of thing. I'm going to return to that most likely every episode and that's, you know, the childhood traumas, what we what happened to us as kids, you know. Um I have a theory. I I've, I've, I've been to a lot of practices. I I studied a lot also, but I have a theory that when something really difficult happened to us when we are kids, I think that to in order to actually survive, I think our essence or spirit leaves us. Because if if that can be saved, if that can be rescued, there is always a chance, there is always a point, a moment where it can return to us. But I think if the essence or spirit wouldn't leave us when we are abused as children, you know, if you're sexually abused as a two-year-old, if your essence would still be there and hang in there, it would kind of be demolished. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but I have a feeling that essence and spirit separates from our, you know, um, um, our what, what's hap- what, what what is happening to us, what's traumatic, you know, the abusive and the violence and the threats and, you know, the... Uh, the neglect or whatever it is, I feel that if the essence leaves and doesn't participate, it's intact, it's innocent, it's still there, you know, it's whole. And I think it just re- it just waits for to return to us. I think it kind of tags along with us all our lives, just waiting for an opportunity to connect again, to become whole again. And I think that's why we get all these challenges, because... To just kind of open up and pass through that challenge, so that we can come back to our authentic us, you know. And I can, I can just say that for me, uh, I can literally feel that for every challenge I've had during these five years, when I managed to come, you know, pull through, when I when I walk through it without breaking. I may have cried a lot, I may have been lying flat on the floor, you know. I have been broke, I have been beaten, I have been abused. I have, So much has happened to me and I made it through without killing myself. So I think for every time I prove to myself, actually, this is not going to kill you. Actually, you're going to manage. We are here, we can do this. You know, for every time that happened. I think my essence kind of, okay, okay, coming closer, closer, closer to finally come back into me. I feel that now the the possibility I have to be myself, to not be afraid to do this podcast without being self-conscious, thinking what will you think about this bullshit kind of, I feel that that's my essence, you know. My essence wants to the last year it's so funny because the last year I'm singing a lot i when i was a child i got a lot of i was beaten a lot as a child and <clears throat> and i cr- uh, screamed a lot so i had this you know in my voice um, i don't know what it is called the the thing that makes the sound anyhow that was kind of a little damaged so i couldn't really speak and i had to go see see a doctor and she spoke to my mom and she said that if this, this didn't stop it was my mom abusing me and um, if this didn't didn't stop i would not be able to speak as an adult so i wasn't i couldn't sing when i sang everyone said like hey can you please be quiet so and now this last year i love to sing and i i just enjoy singing and i i enjoy listening to my own voice and i feel like wow this is something i want to do more i do some modeling work i would never dare to even think i could do that you know i never thought i was beautiful enough or good enough to do anything that other people could see you know and um, i want to learn how to dance i'm not a dancer but who knows if i'm a dancer or not And I'm thinking that all of these things, uh, I became, you know, I began to box uh, with my daughter. Unfortunately, my knee broke. But that was also a thing I felt like, wow, my essence wants to do this. And it's like my essence is a little child, maybe between three and six or I don't know sometimes 10 maybe sometimes 15 I don't know it's like my essence is a previous version of me maybe it's all the ages that I have been and eventually the essence says hey we want to sing hey what about modeling wouldn't that be fun maybe you should be an actress you know maybe you should and i'm thinking like wow instead of having this judgmental you know voice saying who do you think you are Are you stupid or what? You know, the inner judge is not present in my life anymore. And I think that is because there is no space for the essence and the inner judge to co-drive a person. I think that as long as the inner judge is present, the essence is kind of tagging along outside. So I just realized that right now. That's nice, actually. I haven't thought about it, but I don't... My friend, uh, Alexandra, she said today, Shama, I listened to your podcast. I, f- I love it. It's so, so great. I wonder, have you have you read a book from Brené Brown around shame? I think you would really, really like it. And I just looked at her and said, Alexandra, I don't have any shame. And she, she looked at me and she said, she what? You don't have any shame? And I'm like, no, I, I don't. And she's like, no, that, that's... I, I don't know how that is possible. And I just felt like, okay, do I have any shame, yes or no? I don't. And I'm thinking, like, I've had this long, long, long life where I couldn't do much. I mean, I did anything... And immediately I entered a shame bubble, like, why did I say that? You know, with that stupid comment, why didn't I keep my mouth shut? Or why did I try to help that person? So why did I do that? You know, always, always questioning myself. And I just realized I don't do that anymore. I have no idea if this is going to last. This is also the thing about being, as I see, authentic, is that... I don't know if what I have today, if that is going to be here tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to last. I just know that today, this is how it is. Today I feel I am much more at ease with myself. I'm more at peace with myself. I'm more authentic. My need for meditation, my need for angel cards, crystals, yoga, whatever, is much, much, much less I am okay on my own. Uh, I'm not kind of seeking approval, confirmation the way I used to. And I know I'm sober. And this is only for today. A person asked me a question, Shama, can you tell how to be sober forever? And I'm like, yeah, that's the shortest podcast ever. Because I can say, I can say it now, I can include it in this podcast. There's only one answer and that is one day at a time. That's the only way to be sober forever. And that is the same with everything in life. What I do know is that if I am myself today, if I'm authentic with you today, if I'm not giving you truth, you know, I hate clichés. I hate spiritual clichés. I used to love them. I used to have, like, a lot of sayings everywhere in my home. That was a part of my spiritual seeking. It was serving, like, you know, affirmations and, you know, I needed them. It didn't work, though. But now, these days, when people use clichés on me, this too will pass. And, you know, thank you for sharing and this and that. I become like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I have to be patient because it's very, very easy for me to kind of feel superior and judgmental. It's not like that. That I want to say, I am still judgmental. I still get pissed You're off with people, you know. I can still feel like, ah, oh, that person really, you know, is, uh, what do you say, walking on my nerves. And I can become frustrated. It's not like I don't feel things, but... I can also discuss with myself and say, okay, that has nothing to do with that person. You have a problem here. Okay, question is why you are irritated on that behavior. What does it mean? You know, I can make an inquiry into myself, but I'm still judgmental, and some things just kind of, you know, annoys me a lot. Especially, (laughs) especially the spiritual seeking cliches. So... So this is, um, I guess that's it. I guess that's what I wanted to share today. Spiritual seeking versus authentic being. Question is, maybe, maybe, what can you do? If you if you recognize yourself in me to be a seeker, to be kind of desperate and anxious and really looking for answers and, you know, uh, using spiritual methods or practices to feel better i can say is it better to be a spiritual seeker than to be an addict of course it's much better you can say like this of course it's much better to be a compulsive meditator than to be a compulsive drinker Uh, but the question is what is the cause behind you know what's the issue behind what is the problem because it's still a problem we are seeking to solve. We're seeking a solution on a problem. As long as we're seeking, we're looking for a solution. And the question is, what is the problem? So I think it's very, very important to understand that you can use spiritual practices just as you use wine or sex or, you know, food. Or And uh, I can honestly say I did that a lot, really, really a lot. Um, and I I think that it's super, super great to have comforting things in life. So I'm not like saying, hey, everything of that should go, uh, meditation sucks, you should not use any crystals and angel cards, it's just bullshit, rubbish. Um, I'm just saying that uh, it's a good way to look into what we are doing, kind of be aware, awareness. You know, to be aware of what we do and why we do it. And are we ourselves? Am I authentic in this or am I desperate? You know, and I I feel like really things that brings us peace, to me, they are always uh, valid. They are always good. Things that makes us, you know, a bit stressed and anxious are, are a bit more difficult but of course and this is a path this is a journey and and I think that eventually every step we take um, on a seeking journey is going to take us closer to the goal if we stay in this kind of feeling of I don't know as long as I seek I don't know it's not until I'm found that I kind of feel peace so I think to be humble in the seeking and not become too self-centred, self-righteous, I think it's very, I think that is an important step to kind of uh, come to a next level in a way, is to actually be humble and um, not knowing. yes. Uh, I wonder if I'm going to get a lot of critique for this episode. Like, uh, I want to. I want to then make a disclaimer. Okay, maybe I should have like a constant disclaimer. Uh, I don't know what anything, including this, means. Okay, and I'm not a therapist. You know, I'm just a human being sharing my own my own thoughts and insights and insights and ideas, and my truth is not your truth and I encourage you and if I can inspire you to find your own truth then I'm really really happy and uh, yes so happy seeking or happy being wherever you are at and I see you soon again